morning, everybody. And I mean mostly males and people under 18, I guess. <laughs> I know that hopping up here was, is not dignified and probably is not graceful, but um, I was catapulted back to childhood. Um, and my dad's a preacher, and we um, always sat on the front row. So when I was sitting next to Jennifer, um, I just could see my dad coming up um, every week to preach. And my dad, um, we were at a church that had about seven steps, and he always kind of took them in two. He, he would do like a hop, skip. And, and I always worried that maybe he would twist his ankle or he would fall and how embarrassing that would be for him. Um, and it never happened, but I, I never understood why he didn't just go up the steps like a normal person like everybody else. So that's... Um, just to feel close to my dad this morning. Um, and also, I think I get it. Um, public speaking to me is a very nerve-wracking thing, um, but the retreat this weekend and this morning, this opportunity, um, I'm surprisingly um, just calm and excited. I'm really eager to, to share with you what God has put on my heart. And so I think that must be what it was about for my dad, was just um, he was eager to get up there and get started and, and share the word. Um, so before I really get into what I've planned to say, I am sure you guys are all aware, but you have an amazing group of women um, in your church, and um, through the two days I've spent with them, um, the one word that keeps coming up in my mind to describe the women of Bering Drive is noble, the noble women of Bering Drive, um, because what... Um, what I observed and what I shared with your women, I saw so much um, kindness um, and so much courage and so much wisdom um, among the women here. Um, and I'm sure you're already aware of it. They're your wives and mothers um, and sisters. So, um, but in, just in case you aren't aware of it, I want to make you aware of that today. So, um, the only, my only regret about uh, the timing of this weekend was that um, the Avengers Endgame, which I had been looking forward to for a really long time, came out over the weekend. And because I was coming to the retreat, um, I haven't been able to go see it. Has anybody seen that movie? I know that a few people have. Okay. <laughs> um, do you give it two thumbs up or is it okay? Okay. Because um, I'm such a huge fan. Um, and it's got me thinking also that preaching the week after Easter is <laughs> a, a little a little bit of a, it's got to be a letdown. It's kind of a letdown Sunday. I mean, the biggest thing that happened in Jesus' life happened last week and already got talked about. So what can I present to you that's going to be of significance and of value to you this week? Um, and I kind of thought, man, it's like when you go to a really good movie and then it's over and it was really good and it was great, but then there's a little bit of you that's sad and you're kind of disappointed because it's over and it's kind of like, what next? Um, so um, I talked to my husband this morning and he told me that he took the kids to see the movie. So I'm going to have to go and see it by myself, I guess. Um, but 
my son always makes us stay at, at the end of the movie, and he makes us stay through all the credits because he always says, but after the credits, there's always a scene that lets you know um, that there'll be something more coming. Um, and so he said they stayed, and um, you guys stayed for, through the credits, and was there a clip afterward? Not really. Yeah, well, that's what Jared, Jared said. Well, we stayed for all that boring stuff and half, with half the, the, the other moviegoers that stayed, and there was nothing. And I said, oh, well, I guess it really was the end game. Um, Hollywood seems to have trouble with finishing things and leaving good or well enough alone. And I think that as humans, we, we all have a tendency to like want to hold on to things that are good. And sometimes we have a really hard time letting go. Um, and so I want to take us um, kind of in, back into the journey of, of what it meant for Jesus to have finished his race, um, to finish his uh, purpose in this world. Um, and, and how difficult I think that that, that was for the disciples. Um, I really wanted to honor the fact that you've been studying John um, for so many weeks, but John ends really abruptly. Um, after the resurrection, um, you see that he goes to his disciples, um, but then John is pretty abrupt and he says, you know, Jesus did a lot of other amazing things, and I didn't have time to write them all down, um, but the things that are written are written so that you will believe. Um, so I decided that I was going to go to my favorite um, gospel author, which is Luke, and he is a physician, and so I feel um, a, a kinship with Luke because he has an eye for detail. And I guess because I'm a nurse, um, I, I share that eye for detail, but I really, really like the way that he describes um, what happened after Jesus was resurrected. And so I'm going to read to you guys, and I guess I could use my slides. <laughs> um, oh, I guess I need to turn it on. I told you I would turn it on, and then I forgot. All right. Um, to Luke 24. I'm going to read starting at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why does doubt rise in your mind? Look at my hands and feet. It it's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> um, the very first thing that Jesus said as he sort of miraculously popped into the room um, was, peace be with you. Um, probably what, what he would say to us in modern times is just, don't freak out. Right? Um, and so it, it made me think that, oh, Jesus really does freak people out sometimes, especially, especially if he shows up unexpected. He can freak people out. Um, I also thought it was really interesting and had no recollection that the Bible talks about ghosts anywhere. 
And so now you know at the end of Luke, the Bible talks about ghosts, and ghosts freak people out. Interesting. And angels freak people out, right? We can think of the Old Testament and New Testament times, and every time that an angel appears, um, it's usually a frightening experience for, for that person. And so, man, Jesus freaks people out, especially after he's dead and comes back to life. Um, there's something about us that needs to see to believe. Um, and I think that's the weakness of our flesh. But because Jesus lived as a man, he's aware of that weakness within us. And he's kind to us in our weakness. I'm going to keep on reading. We're at verse 40. So when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So I am just overwhelmed with the kindness of Christ in this moment. If, if we can put ourselves in place of, of the disciples who have been in the room, they've been together since Friday night, since the crucifixion, and they've they probably were, were huddled together the entire time in fear. Saturday passes, Sunday, they get word from Mary um, that Jesus is risen, but they're not really sure what to think about that. And so they're all just in the room huddled up, and, and I'm imagining that they're thinking, what are we going to do now? Um, do you have any contacts? I can't go back to fishing. You know, I sold my boat or whatever, but I, they thought they were going to be living a life um, with Jesus restoring the kingdom, and instead he's gone, and now they don't know what to do. Um, so they're bereft. And then Jesus shows up. And because he knows our weakness, um, he, shows, he shows grace. He allows them to touch him and see that he has flesh and bones. And then Jesus does something that I think is so weird until I realize that this is a further showing of God's grace. Because he's been dead for three days, and I think that anybody dead for three days come back to life would be hungry. And so, in a sense, I'm thinking that I can't believe that no one was hearing Jesus' stomach grumble or thinking to offer him food or a drink or a beverage. We've got hospitality um, that's just out the door. They're, they're freaked out. Um, so he asks for what he needs, simply. Can I, can I get something to eat? Is there anything here? And he asked, and it made everything so normal. Um, not to mention that ghosts do not eat food. And so it was another offering of a proof of, I, I, you really can believe this. See me eat. Feel, feel the warmth of my skin. This is not cold, dead skin. Here I am. I'm with you. I'm back. And we need time to process, and I think that's what God was giving them, and that's what God gives us. He gives us time to process. Before he asks us to, to go on the journey with him, 
he, he, he gives us time to let it sink in. So I'll, I'll continue reading. Jesus took the piece of fish and he, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So up until that time, um, I'm not sure that the disciples fully understood um, what their purpose was, but Jesus makes it very clear and promises them the Holy Spirit, which changes which changes everything. And so, when I think about, about Jesus' journey, I'm, I'm always in awe of Jesus' journey. Um, but not long after that, maybe 30 or 40 days after he rose from the grave, he returned um, to heaven. He left us his Holy Spirit. And then it was our end game. It's our end game. And what is our end game? What are we meant to be about right now? And so as I was thinking about that, a verse came to me from 2 Corinthians, which I didn't mark. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And that treasure is, is the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the presence of Jesus in our lives. It's knowing him, knowing that we are part of his body and will never be separated from him. And the jar of clay is our body. We are what holds the Holy Spirit within us. And it's, it's every single one of us. Um, I like to think... When I was a kid, I liked to think that I, w I wanted to live in Jesus' times. I wanted to be able to see him, and I wanted to be able to touch him. And I thought that was so much more of an advantage than having to believe, having not seen him, heard him, sat at his feet, or touched him. But I realized that we really have an advantage over those that lived during Jesus' time, because Jesus was one man in one body. And when he left and went to heaven, he deposited the Holy Spirit in every willing body, every believer, which meant that Jesus was all over the place. His agents, he multiplied himself. Not only did he raise himself to life, he multiplied himself within us. And that is so powerful. Um, so I no longer feel as much that, that I, I need to see Jesus. 
I know that I have Jesus, and I know what my mission is. We're called his agents, his ambassadors. We're the little Christs, literally the Christians. We're the little Christs. We're Jesus with skin on. So the end game, what is it? We've been equipped. We've got the Holy Spirit. But what is the end game? I believe it's been defined for us in in John, in chapter 14. Before before Jesus went to the cross, he talked to the disciples uh, about the end game, about what their life purpose really is. We find it in verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm, I'm going to the Father. That's always been difficult for me. I mean, I don't, I think it's pretty arrogant to think that I could do anything greater than, than what Jesus has done. And yet that's what Jesus is telling me that I'm able to do, and it's the purpose he's given me. He's expecting me to do this. Um, so it's kind of scary, um, but it's exciting, and it is our end game. So how do we do that? Um, what, and what is greater than the things Jesus did? What does that mean? What does it look like? So in thinking about that, um, I can only think of my own experience. Um, and I wanted to share um, just a few thoughts that I have, because doing greater things than Jesus, I think, occurs in community, which is why Jesus left the Holy Spirit in each one of us, and it's why he called us to the church for our community. And I think that um, individually, we are weak vessels, um, jars of clay, but when we are united, and the Bible talks a lot about church unity, then there's power. It's God's power. And so I have seen that play out in in my life and in the work, in the ministry that God has called um, my my family to, uh, my husband uh, and myself, our kids. Um, and, And I hate to limit it to these two examples, but for time, <laughs> I just wanted to give you guys um, really a more um, tactile example of what I mean. Um, and so I wanted to share with you uh, this, this story of this little guy. Um, his name is Erwin, um, and he is about 14 years old, but he looks about eight or nine because he has um, a congenital heart defect. It's actually a quadruple heart defect. Um, And and so he he hasn't grown um, that well, but he lives in uh, in a village in Honduras. um, And I would say the first miraculous thing um, that happened in community was that even though our mission is located about four hours away from his village, um, God, through his network of, of Christian community, um, we got word of his case, and we decided to take it um, and see if we could 
help him get surgery. Now, he um, does live in Honduras, but he doesn't speak Spanish. He lives in a very remote village where they speak their own dialect. So it was, there were a lot of barriers to us being able to move on this case. Um, and sometimes our cases take us six or 12 months um, to make any progress on. Um, but we actually became aware of this case in January, and he is currently, right now, in Houston, here in Houston. He's been discharged from um, Herman Memorial Children's Hospital, um, where he had surgery. Um, we worked with a wonderful foundation that that's, has a chapter here in Houston called Heart Gift. Um, it's, a, it's a really wonderful, they, they fix kids' hearts um, all the time. Um, but they're a wonderful partner that we use when we come across cases. But what's, what's so intriguing to me about working cases like this is that for his family, Erwin's heart getting, getting fixed is a miracle. It's a miracle. The surgery is unavailable in the world that he lives in. And so that's a miracle for him. And so we can justify it in different ways by talking about technology and skills and doctors and wonderful hospitals. Um, but in order for Erwin to get from his village, where it was impossible, to Houston, where his heart was repaired, and you can see the difference that the picture on the bottom is a picture um, post-surgery. And maybe because I'm a nurse, and I'm not sure you can tell so well in the picture, but He's ashen, um, and his lips are blue in the top picture, and that's just because of really poor circulation. And, um, and also, I've never seen him really smile. The, but the second picture is the smile. You can definitely see the, the change in the skin color, in the lips, and, um, and that's, that's because clearly um, there's been a change, and there's been a, and a miracle for him. Um, and the only way that that happens is that God turns the hearts of each person along each step of the way to be compassionate and care about this person. One, one person of eight billion in the world that they took the time to care about his problem and his heart. And that's a miracle. And that's the church. That's, that's a, a miracle that we attribute to Christ through his church through each individual weak vessel that houses the Holy Spirit. And so that is our end game every time, every time. Um, he's, he's here, uh, I think he's in Houston probably for another week, um, and then he's going to go back home. And that miracle um, that has occurred for him has given us also an opportunity as a church to reach into that village. Um, and so God is going to continue to use his agents um, to make further inroads um, into that group of indigenous people. Um, and, and that's what it's all about. That's the end game. And um, what's really wonderful about, about miracles that we perform as the church is that it can't be attributed to any one person, so none of us can be arrogant. None of us can claim it. It's only God, through God, that these things happen. And I know that I'm out of time, but because um, 
I just have to share about this um, this young woman named Gracie. She uh, lives in our children's home. She's 19 years old, and last year she graduated from high school. Um, she started college this year, and the system in Honduras is very different than the system here. You kind of declare what it is that you want to study, and then you take a placement test, and if you place high enough, then you're allowed to enroll in that study. So she um, really wants to be a doctor. Um, and so she took the exam and she failed it in February. Um, and just through perseverance and through trusting in God, she studied hard and took it again. And in August, or I'm sorry, she took it last August and failed it. And then she took it in February and she passed it. Um, so she will be enrolling in medical school in the fall. Um, and what's, what's amazing about Gracie is, is not that she's going to accomplish some wonderful thing, but that um, I didn't have a before picture of, of Gracie to show you, but Gracie's the, a, a girl um, that I've known for 12 years, so the majority of her life. But, but when she came into our lives, she was about seven years old. Um, and she didn't smile, and she never smiled. Um, it was like she had lost her smile. Um, and I think it was several years before she began to smile again, but she, she smiles now, and that is God within her. That is the hope that he's given her and the way that he's restored her life from chaos to order and from neglect to love. Um, and he has huge plans for her. And again, that's through a village raising her. It's through donors who support our children's home. It's through the caregivers. It's through anyone who has prayed for her. Um, and that's the miracle. So our end game is, is to help others find their purpose. And we as Christians know that that purpose is, is Christ. The reason that we live and breathe is Christ. But we can help other people find that, that purpose and that truth. So I'm going to finish by, by reading from John 15, verse 30. Because this, this, is, this is something that, that Jesus speaks to his disciples knowing that he's going to be soon gone, and I think it's something that speaks to us as well. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. And that's what we're, that's what we're gonna, we're gonna do. We're gonna leave we're going to exit the building, and we're going to go out into the world, and we're going to look for the opportunities that God gives us individually and also as a church to make, to make an impact and to make a miracle in the life of someone else. Um, you as a church have impacted me this weekend in, you know, and blessed me this weekend in, in allowing me to, to meet your women and spend time uh, at your women's retreat. Um, my husband and I are actually going on sabbatical um, next week, and um, this has really prepared me 
for what that ought to look like. And, and so I, the church is meant to bless others, and, and you are, and I want you to continue looking for more opportunities to do that. Um, so I love you. I love the body of Christ here at Bearing Drive. Thank you so much for this opportunity.